0: Daily news and analysis, we keep you informed and
1: inspired. This is World Today.
2: Hello and welcome to the panel discussion of World Today, a news program from a different perspective. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Taiwan Deputy Leader Lai Qingde has returned home after making two highly controversial stopovers in the United States in a week-long trip. The Chinese Foreign Ministry has condemned the stopovers, saying China opposes any form of official interaction between the United States and the Taiwan region. In the meantime, the Taiwan Affairs Office with the Chinese State Council has criticized the lie for making troubles in the Taiwan Straits, accusing Taiwan independence forces of dragging the island into war and calamity. Now, because Latin America is home to most of Taiwan's so-called remaining diplomatic allies, a trip to these countries with U.S. transits is a usual trick for some particular Taiwan politicians to be able to politically engage with the United States. So, what has Lai ching attempted to pursue during his step over this time? And who is really destroying peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits? these questions, and much more in this edition of the program. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. So joining us now on the line is Dr. Liu Kuang-Yu, researcher with the Institute of Taiwan Studies, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Welcome back. Also joining us on the line is Professor Harry Tark, Emeritus Professor of Political Science and International Relations with Purdue University. Thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thank you very much for inviting me.
2: And finally, we have Mr. Duncan McFarland from the Peace and Solidarity Committee with the Communist Party USA. Hello.
3: Yes, hello. This is uh, Duncan.
2: Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. So, So, Professor Chark, let's begin by talking about Lighting the latest stopover U.S. visits. Uh, During his stay in New York City as well as San Francisco, he made comments like, uh, and here I'm quoting him, standing up against the increased threat from authoritarianism and if Taiwan is safe, the world is safe, comments like these. So how would you look at these comments, Professor?
0: Okay, um okay. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, as, as a pol- political scientist, I always try to complicate stories. Uh, to me, one has to understand the, um, the active, activities of individual politicians, both in terms of their own interests and the interests of their parties, and the larger political economic context in which they operate i'm very much concerned both as an academic and a peace activist in the united states with what seems to be a shift in u.s policy towards a new cold war with china and a centerpiece of that new cold war with china is the so-called threat to Taiwan, and it seems to me that this larger international political economic context is the background in which individual politicians, like those in Taiwan begin to operate, mm. and the uh, uh, the delegates from Taiwan visiting the United States contrary to norms and expressing opinions about Taiwan, the People's Republic of China, and the global struggle between democracy and authoritarianism is part of that larger discourse, that larger language, that to me is part of the threat of a new Cold War between the United States and China. So the individual representative of the DPP who visits the United States is speaking out uh, in the service of his own interests um, Mm. and uh, maintaining the majority uh, of his party in the parliament in Taiwan, but is also speaking in the context of a U.S. uh, global increased hostility Mm. towards the People's Republic of China. So it's both the big picture and the individual interests of individual politicians at work in tandem.
2: Mm, okay. So um, when we talk about the Taiwan question, Duncan, in your understanding, do you think it is a matter of democracy versus autocracy?
3: No, I don't. I don't think that has anything to do with it at all. Um, um, Biden's um, picture of democracy versus autocracy um, is um, supported by almost nobody except the United States and its direct allies. So as a framework for understanding the uh, world situation, it's uh, pretty much just a U.S. Uh, kind of story that no, no countries, especially no countries in the global south, um, support this kind of framework. Uh, The framework that most countries uh, are uh, moving towards supporting now is a framework of a world that is increasingly multilateral and multipolar. So that's, that's just U.S. imperialist propaganda.
2: Mm. Okay, so Dr. Liu Kuangyu, let me go to you. Um, when we talk about this uh, statements from um, Beijing officials, Chinese diplomats, and also officials with the Taiwan Affairs Office, with, with the Chinese State Council, when they say uh, Lai Qingde is a troublemaker for the Taiwan Straits, do you think uh, they have a point?
1: Yes, of course, we can see that Mr. Lai Ching is playing the so-called Democratic value card and Taiwan's security card in the United States, which is actually an alternative for a Taiwan independence.
2: In other words,
1: uh, Lai's visit to the United States was closely guarded by the U.S. and did not dare to speak openly and frankly about so-called Taiwan independence, so he used some species. Concepts in this context, the U.S. and the West to convey his Taiwan independence position sneakily. The so-called, uh, as you said, standing, standing up against increased threat from authoritarian, authoritarianism. referred to detaching the importance of democratic values by the Biden administration and its positioning the Taiwan's democratic frontier, uh, indicating that Taiwan wants to move from the China to the West in terms of values, institutions, and beliefs to choose the U.S. and the West rather than China in terms of identity and will resist reunification to the end. So this is a deep Taiwan independence mindset in the both. Mm. Uh, It is also a statement that Taiwan is willing to so-called contribute more to play a more more important role in institutional confrontation, value position, as well as economic and technological uh, containment initiated by the U.S. and the West against China. And if Taiwan is safe, the world is safe. It's a similar logic, but it's even more dangerous, echoing Mr. Anthony Blinken's claim that a crisis in Taiwan Strait would not be an internal matter of China. So this is to further deepen uh, the internationalization of the Taiwan question, drawing external forces for armed intervention in the Taiwan Strait, tearing down his camouflage of peace, and exposing his attempt to induce and prepare for war in the Taiwan Strait. So if this is not so-called troublemaker, so what is troublemaker?
2: Mm. So, Duncan, uh, this is something that Professor Harry Tark has uh, elaborated on a little bit early on, Uh, but I want to get your take on this, because as a matter of fact, the current Taiwan leader Tsai Ing-wen made stopover visits to the United States in 2015 and 2019, respectively, both of those two uh, trips took place a few months before she was elected and re-elected, uh, respectively. Now, considering this fact that uh, Lai Qingde is the candidate of the um, pro-separatism DPP for the next Taiwan election in January, to what extent do you think his U.S. visits or U.S. stopovers this time are aimed at pursuing some personal political gains? Duncan.
3: Well, I think uh, yes, I think it's quite, quite likely uh, uh, he is seeking U.S. support. Um, to me, the, you know, I speak um, from the perspective of a U.S.-based activist, and the main um, point of U.S. policy should be to implement the One China policy, which is the basis of diplomatic relations and the Shanghai communique. So the United States uh, government should not be engaging um, with Mr. Lai or any other politicians in in any way. So uh, this is clearly a a violation of the one china policy, which Mr. Lai is taking advantage of. um, And he hopes to have some uh, high-profile, high-publicity support, uh, which he did not get at this particular visit. But uh, I'm I'm sure that uh, he's seeking U.S. support, which he which he uh, thinks will help him in terms of his um, election campaign.
2: Mm. Okay. So, Professor Tark, um, actually, as part of this broader, you know, a series of a broader agreements guiding the relationship between United States and China, Taiwan officials are not allowed to make any official visits to Washington D.C. However, during a campaign event held last month, Mr. Lai Qingde said, quote-unquote, when Taiwan's leader can enter the White House, then the political goal that we are pursuing will have been achieved. Uh, this comment, um... For the information of our listeners, even worried Washington somehow prompting American officials to seek uh, some explanation from Taipei. And in the meantime, Lai has described himself as a so-called practical worker for Taiwan independence, saying he is willing to talk to Beijing and seek peace and stability. So in your observation, Professor Tark, what's his real stance on the Taiwan independence?
0: Yes, um, uh, again, I um, I guess I I reiterate that Mm -hmm. the Taiwan is just an excuse for uh, the effort of the United States to reestablish its global uh, hegemony. Um, I don't think American policymakers are concerned about so-called democratization in Taiwan nor are they concerned about so-called authoritarianism around the world. I'm very much impressed by a now four or five-year-old book by a historian, Alfred McCoy, uh, called it uh, something like the decline of the American empire. And the central thesis of his book was that in terms of political economy and technological sophistication, The United States, compared with other countries in the world, particularly the People's Republic of China, is declining. And McCoy claims that to overcome this relative decline in American economic power in the world, the United States is investing more heavily in militarization. In militarization in space, the development of cyberspace technology, Um, uh, 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 establishing more bases in and around the South China Sea, um, articulating this ideology that Duncan referred to, that the world today involves a struggle between democracy and authoritarianism. But I believe that McCoy is right, that the real goal of United States foreign policy is to try and overcome its relative decline, to try and overcome the seeming um, uh, emergence of countries of the Global South in greater and greater solidarity. And in that sense, uh, the Taiwan question is just a pawn in the larger global political struggle of the United States to maintain its hegemony in a much, much more complicated world.
2: Hmm. Okay. So, uh, a bit a bit deeper into this point that you raised, the professor, because um, some people see the tension in the Taiwan Straits as a sort of um, inevitable outcome of the worsening of the China-U.S. relations, but some people don't necessarily see it, see this issue in this way. Uh, for example, they point to the fact that from 2008 to 2016. Uh, relations between the Chinese mainland and the Taiwan actually improved significantly. But um, the relations between Beijing and Washington during that period actually grew more tensely competitive during the Obama era. So what is your observation? What do you think is the, uh, let's say, the determining factor of the tensions over the Taiwan question? Professor. Well,
0: yes. Um, again, I... Um, I think what's driving the u s. agenda is um, uh, is the effort, the desperate effort to maintain its hegemony in a much more complicated world. And if we add the conflict in Ukraine to the story, uh, many of the countries of the global South, are not sympathetic with the u.s position on ukraine although they might be critical of the russian invasion of ukraine and support the idea of negotiating to end the conflict there some people argue that the u.s position um, vis-a-vis taiwan is similar to the u.s position vis-a-vis ukraine and so Taiwan becomes an excuse, a proxy, if you will, for mm-hmm. uh, generating support within the United States for escalating tensions, uh, escalating tensions with China. From my point of view, um, this is a uh, this is a, we've reached a point of, uh, of a potential tectonic change in world affairs from the traditional great powers of the West and the U.S. to a more multilateral world. And it's also a time, therefore, of increased danger of uh, large-scale war and potential nuclear war as the former great powers seek to resist these changes.
2: Hmm. So, Dr. Liu, earlier you gave your your thoughts about uh, troublemaker or troublemaking. Um, in fact, there was one time when those um, pro-independence or uh, separatist Taiwan politicians were seen even by Washington as troublemaker. For example, during a 2003 A U.S. visit by the then-Chinese Premier Wen Jiabao, the then-U.S. President George W. Bush warned the then-Taiwan leader Chen Shui-bian against holding a controversial referendum on the island related to the cross-strait relations. So in the case of Lai Qingde, do you think the Biden administration will see him as a troublemaker?
1: Well, well, right, no doubt this can be seen more directly from Biden administration's treatment of light transit or stopover with the extreme extremely strict even the uh, even humiliating uh, restrictions were placed on uh, lighting the uh, we, we can see his leveled meetings, the length of his day and the scale of his activities indicating the position that United States was putting more pressure on light and light like, is not very welcome here. Although uh, Lai te is candidate of the DPP party, we know that U.S. has been supporting the DPP for the past seven years, but Lai is also disliked by the U.S., apparently. On the one hand, uh, it is uncertainly uh, brought by his Taiwan independence stance, and that is the U.S. Uh, we're, now w- we're worried that Lai is maybe the next Chen Shui-bian because of his private political mo- motivation, the narrow and extreme interest uh, of Taiwan independence may drive him to break away from the control of the U.S. or even brought the U.S. into a dangerous situation of conflict in the Taiwan Strait. And on the other hand, the Biden administration itself is now facing great electoral and political pressure, and Sino-U.S. relations appeared uh, in a stage of relaxation from uh, Anthony Blinken to Raimondo. Senior U.S. government officials are keen up to visit China and a demand for cooperation and dialogue a series of issues that's begun to increase and more emphasis than placing on uh, managing risk. So in this case, the U.S. is very clear that this visit this time is mainly about the life's personal interests of politics, not for the interests of the United States. The U.S. is not very happy about the transit actually at this time uh, for him uh, coming to the United States. So in terms of both the risk of Taiwan independence and and uh, risk for the uh, China China US relations. This I think the US will regard light as a troublemaker.
2: Okay, so Duncan, let me go to you. Um, I mean, when we talk about say um, Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan um, about the same time last year. Even many uh, mainstream American uh, political analysts and even, you know, policy advisors at the time in America saw her trip as a sort of unnecessary uh, provocation of China. So what about this time? What about, say, this behavior of hosting Lai Ching De this time around, as well as, say, uh, U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's meeting with um Tsai Ing-wen in California earlier this year. Do you see these um, occurrences as um, provocative on the part of the United States? Well,
3: <clears throat> I, I think uh, United States capitalism and imperialism is divided on how to uh, relate to China. Uh, on the one hand, I think there are a lot of U.S. Uh, business interests, and um, those engaged in cultural, educational, and scientific exchanges um, want a more normal relationship with China. On the other hand, I think the the strategists of empire, the strategists of hegemony, um, see China as the main threat to U.S. hegemony in the coming decades. And so they advocate a much more aggressive and hostile um, approach to China. So I think that President Biden is kind of trying to have it both ways. He wants to um, maintain some kind of a relationship with China. He does not actually want war with China, which would be bad, for example, uh, for his re-election prospects. On the other hand, he does not want to seem to be soft on China and easy on China. And so he um, is continuing to maintain and promote the um, restrictions on high-tech investment and so forth. So, um I think probably um, also another consideration is that the elections in Taiwan itself has not been going very well on some level for the DPP um, recently. So mm-hmm. the U.S. policymakers have to take that into account as well. There could even be a change in government in Taiwan at some point.
1: Mm-hmm. So.
3: I think that um, the Biden administration has been sort of promoting this thaw recently, sending high-level officials to China, which is good, uh, you know, for conversations. But also, simultaneously, they are pursuing, um, you know, a, a hostile policy on, on trade and also military sales to Taiwan. Yeah. So um, I think they're trying to have it both ways.
2: Okay, so Duncan, we still have about like uh, one minute before we need to take a short break in the middle of our show today. But um, how would you, because you said President Biden doesn't want a war with China, but how would you explain, say, if you go to Washington, go to Pentagon today, those uh, many senior American military officials are talking about a war with China over Taiwan? Very briefly.
3: Well, it's their job. It's the uh, war preparations, is the job of the Pentagon. So naturally, they are planning for the possibility of a war. But there are high level people, military people in the Pentagon also who do not want a war. So I oh.
2: think the military. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I have to cut you here, but let's take a short break. Coming back, our discussion will continue. Stay with us. Wang, chief economist of Hang Bank China. The World Today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Han in Beijing. Today we are talking about the direction of where the Taiwan question is headed, and who is destroying peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits, who is making trouble in the region. These questions and much more in this edition of the program. Joining our panel, Dr. Liu Kuang-Yu, researcher with the Institute of Taiwan Studies, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, Harry Tark, Emeritus Professor of Political Science and International Relations with Purdue University in the United States, as well as Mr. Duncan McFarland from the Peace and Solidarity Commission of the Communist Party USA. So, Professor Tark, going back to you, um, economically speaking, we understand actually the Chinese mainland represents Taiwan's um, biggest trading partner, However, there were signs that Taiwan is moving to reduce this uh this kind of a trade connection. Uh, for, for example, in this year's uh, first quarter, Taiwan's imports from the Chinese mainland declined by over 25% year on year and exports declined by some somewhere around 33%. And Beijing is currently conducting a probe into what Beijing calls as Taiwan's trade restrictions against the Chinese mainland. And in the meantime, a few months ago, actually, Taiwan signed a trade agreement with the United States, and there were said to be some uh, ongoing negotiations to further enrich this trade pact between Taiwan and the United States. So, realistically speaking, Professor In your observation, do you think the United States is able to provide Taiwan with what the island is losing from the Chinese mainland in terms of um, business opportunities and trade opportunities?
0: Yes, uh, I think this is a complicated uh, question. First, let me throw out, it doesn't relate to your question, but Uh, The United States has somewhere between 750 and 800 military bases around the world. By one uh, source, the estimate was that there were 313 U.S. space sites in East Asia, including sites in Japan, South Korea, Guam, and more recently, the Philippines. So I think that's part of the backdrop
1: Mm. as
0: well. Secondly, as you point out, uh, Taiwan produces 60 to 70 percent of semiconductors and uh, uh, provides 70 percent of uh, semiconductors and chips used in the United States. So the U.S.-Taiwan connections economically are quite strong. I wanted to add, and again, this complicates the story, Uh, I'm retired from Purdue University, a large public university from the state of Indiana, whose specialty increasingly is in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And in an article in the Taipei Times about four days ago, uh, it was said that Purdue University is launching a center to advocate for Taiwan as a trusted partner and encourage U.S. investment in the nation. Former U.S. Undersecretary of State for Economic Growth, Energy, and the Environment, Keith Crotch, told news sources. This man, Crotch, is the chairman of the Crotch Institute for Tech Diplomacy at Purdue University. And uh, uh, Professor Crotch has indicated that uh, Purdue University has set up this institute uh, to encourage uh, private and public support for Taiwan. So um, Purdue is probably not the only institution in the United States that's putting resources into increasing relationships, economic and research with with Taiwan. But this suggests uh, part of the... Process of uh, of trying to increase the connections and the vitality of U.S. and Taiwanese economic relations. Whether it will satisfy the needs and vision of people like uh, Professor Kratz or not, I don't know.
2: Okay. So, Dr. Liu, what is your take on this question? I mean, uh, strengthening of economic ties between any two individual economies, uh, that's a normal phenomenon. That's understandable. But what about, say, uh, the United States increasing economic engagement with Taiwan for the sake of, you know, Increasing the diplomatic maneuvering, the space of diplomatic maneuvering of Taipei, um, that's that will look look to be a little suspicious.
1: Uh, well, I, I can provide you, provide you another angle of the story. Uh, mm-hmm. First, we must say that the general trend and order uh, of cross trade trade and economic cooperation are not subject to the will of certain individual or the party or any uh, certain party. Even under, the, uh, even under the, the obstruction of the DPP authorities, we see the mainland has remained Taiwan's largest export market, uh, primary investment destination, and major source of trade surplus for many decades, with the, with the trade surplus up to $156 billion last year. Um, Taiwan's deep dependence on the mainland, as well as mainland's huge prefer, uh, preferential treatment and the real benefits for Taiwan, and uh, could be clearly seen from it. Mm. Um, at the same time, Taiwan's economic uh, economy continues to decline due to global demand contraction and uh, cross-retention. Ex- exports have declined sharply for 11 months uh, consecutively, uh, with exports to the mainland declining also uh, particularly uh, falling very hard. So it's, it's facing the acute difficulty to maintain economic growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than maybe 1% or 2% this year. Um, Taiwan's attempt to decouple its economy from the mainland has significantly increased its vulnerability. vulnerability. Uh, although it has not uh, structurally, gotten rid, uh, structurally gotten rid of its dependence on the, on the mainland, the downturn of the global market, including the United States, obviously does not uh, have to make uh, make up for the gap, nor can get Taiwan out of the predicament. I can give an example. We can Better understand better understand the situation with a case study. We see that earlier this week, after more than uh, nine months of anti-dumping investigation, the Ministry of Commerce announced that it will impose anti-dumping tariffs on poly um, carbonate imported from Taiwan region. So uh, it's worth noting that this poly carbonate from Taiwan export is uh, deeply dependent on the mainland market around seventy eight percent in recent years. So the uh, mm. um, uh, so this means it's very difficult, hugely difficult for Taiwan enterprises to find the so-called alternative markets other than the mainland, whether U.S. or Japan or the Europe or uh, the Southeast Asia countries. So there is no so-called multiple baskets to store eggs for Taiwan, only Chinese mainland.
2: Okay, so realistically, it will be very, very challenging regardless of uh, ideology or whatever. So, of course, Duncan um, when we talk about the Taiwan question, one angle to look at the question here is, of course, like Professor Tark talked about earlier, is through the uh, chip making industry. And like Professor talked about earlier, Taiwan currently enjoys a dominant position in the global semiconductor manufacturing. Um, And both the Chinese mainland and the United States currently need to import a lot of chips made made by Taiwan or made in Taiwan. Uh, So, uh, but in the meantime, something uh, that is on the horizon as well is that, for example, with this uh, Chips and Science Act passed by the U.S. Congress last year, the United States is um, in a very um, active and a passionate manner, let's put it in this way, encouraging Taiwan chipmakers like TSMC to build a manufacturing facility in the United States, and in the meantime, omit this US, uh, te- U.S.-led technology restrictions against China, Chinese government has its own goal to achieve some kind of um, self-sufficiency in the semiconductor making in, in the foreseeable future. So do you think the change of dynamics in the chip supply chain will have a major impact on where the Taiwan question will be headed in the future? Well,
3: I think that's important, but uh, I think that the um, main driver of- Mm-hmm. Is again, it's it's a policy it's of hegemony and global dominance. Um, reference was made to uh, some better um, uh, relations in 2003 or um, and during the Obama administration, but things have changed since then. And I think it was in 2017 or 18, the Trump administration and the Biden administration has followed. Um, identifying China as the main obstacle to um, continued um, U.S. global. Um, so I, what were, the, um, the U.S. has a technological advantage over China and certain high-tech uh, chips manufacturing. So I think the U.S. is trying to use that to contain China as, as a useful tool in its policy of Hegemony. So, what has to change uh, is not the supply chain. What has to change is that the U.S. has to recognize that it cannot maintain its post-World War II, you know, world dominance, and it has to adjust to a new world of multilateralism and multipolar multipolarism, and uh, adopt a more democratic cooperative attitude towards china and, uh, and all other countries.
2: Mm, so this dominance is not only in the military sense but also in the you know in the scientific and technological sense in economic trend in economic sense uh, in the sense of trade as well i guess. So uh Dr. Leo um yes. recently US uh, Republican presidential candidate uh, this guy named Viva Karamaswamy, uh, he made a media comment uh, which implied that the United States could abandon um, its um, intention to help defend Taiwan after the United States gains independence on chip manufacturing. And actually, the timeline that he has personally set for this um for this uh, for this uh, achievement in the foreseeable future is by the year 2028. So do you think the mindset behind the, his comment here has a support base in the U.S. public opinion? And by the way, to people in Taiwan, do you think such a public comment from a U.S. politician will raise questions about, say, the sustainability and reliability of the so-called U.S. commitment to Taiwan.
1: Yes, of course. Uh, first of all, semiconductors, we see the uh, the U.S. positioning of Taiwan in the sense of first identity and attribute, and that is how the U.S. views Taiwan, uh, how how, the, how they understand the Taiwan question. We see that in the past, Americans believed that Taiwan was an island that had not yet been unified with the mainland. But in recent years, the status of Taiwan in global semiconductor industry chain and its value also in ideology and geosecurity have become the three paths for the U.S. to define Taiwan, which has provided more motivation and excuses for the U.S. to intervene in the uh, Taiwan question or the trade affairs. And secondly, um, in the practice, the US would also have a demonstration effect, especially when the US is trying to initiate a new Cold War, a so called new Cold War, to tear apart the past global industrial chain. Um, especially after the Russia Ukraine conflict and the global uh, pandemic, more countries began to treat these uh, semiconductors in a sense of uh, pan national security. So, thus, uh, increased their concern and demand for Taiwan. Uh, So this uh, semiconductor has become a tool for the United States and the West to mobilize, to uh, create the internationalization of the Taiwan question. So we can see in the future, the Biden administration will regard the Sino-U.S. science and technology competition as the key to great power strategy competition, which uh, Taiwan factor would undoubtedly be more important. Uh, On the one hand, we see the U.S. has, has been stepping up its looting of Taiwan's high-tech industrial chain, technology, and and talents. And on the other hand, it is continuously urged, urging it is uh, it's been continuously urging Taiwan to participate more deeply in decoupling and containment and containment against China uh, through through this, you call it, you said the Chiefs alliance uh, through uh, their economic trade agreements and so on. So. Uh, Mm-hmm. so so trying to outcompete china which is bound to continue to increase the tensions across trade so we can see is u.s the real uh, savior or the us will sti- or the u.s is still uh, are they still caring about the taiwan when they lose this value uh, for example the semiconductor the chips uh, i think the aforementioned candidates has given a starkest a very clear and straight and frank answer and i think that will undoubtedly raise more questions more doubts Uh, uh, on the island for the people in Taiwan uh, of their uh, 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 inclination towards the U.S.
2: Okay. So, Professor Tark, um, you know better than I do because uh, since the 1950s, uh, the stated purpose, the stated goal of the U.S. strategy has been to preserve peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits. But in reality, I I think this is one point you you made earlier that uh, there is a trend nowadays that the U.S. is treating Taiwan as a strategic tool to uh, weaken China or contain China. So do you think doing so on the part of the United States or on the part of Washington uh, will harm the U.S. image and reputation in the eyes of its allies and friends across the world, Because um, if you are the allies or if you are the friends of someone, you're not supposed to treat him or her as proxies or tools, right?
0: Yes, um, I agree this is a dilemma for the U.S. and as Duncan has suggested, Um, The U.S. uh, drive for global hegemony is raising more questions and criticisms among more nations in the international system than before. I truly believe that uh, we're in a transitional economic period in terms of the rise of the global south, as diverse as it is, Um, the BRICS includes uh, Brazil, Russia, China, India, and South Africa. Many other countries uh, are requesting to join BRICS. And so I think there's an increasing skepticism uh, about uh, US articulation of this view that it is engaged in the struggle between defending democracy and authoritarianism. I only want to list a few things to suggest what I think is uh, the longstanding uh, U.S. effort to maintain a hegemony vis-a-vis China. President Obama talked about the Asian pi- uh, pivot uh, in 2020. Former Secretary of State Pompeo made a statement to the effect that we need to revisit The original agreements between China and the United States and the Nixon administration in the fall of 2022, the Biden administration issued a new national security strategy document that overwhelmingly articulates the view that the main challenge of the United States is China. One can find the same claims made by Rand Corporation reports and, uh, and statements by the consul in foreign relations, both very influential. And what has troubled me most recently is an August 5th article in the New York Times that uh, tries to draw the connection between a wealthy American uh, by the name of uh, Singham and support for various peace movement organizations in the United States, including Code Pink and TriContinental and Vijay Prashad. And this article tries to argue that this wealthy donor to peace movement causes and opposition to a new Cold War has formal ties with the People's Republic of China This is a kind of red baiting and guilt by association that we in the United States have not seen in recent years and maybe many of us older folks remember from the McCarthy era. So that article suggests to me that uh, the key decision makers in the United States are fearful of um, the, the role of the peace movement in the United States and Europe and uh the growing sensibility in the global south that uh, the idea of us global hegemony needs to be rejected
2: okay so duncan um going back to our discussion about taiwan question some realistic issues do you think the some of the actual us practices on the taiwan question nowadays such as this increased sales of weapons to to taiwan among others, this increased uh visits by some uh, US lawmakers, uh some sometimes these uh US lawmakers are coming in the form of a bipartisan group to Taiwan. Do you think these uh practices on the parts of the United States are uh in effect emboldening Taiwan separatists to continue to pursue their agenda?
3: Oh I certainly think that they are emboldening uh Uh, Taiwan separatists. Um, Without U.S. support, uh, I think the um, separatist movement in Taiwan would actually be very weak. So I think that um, U.S. support um, is is absolutely critical. Um, And clearly, these uh, increased uh, military sales on the part of the the United States are a clear violation of the Shanghai High Community um, and all the agreements which specify that the U.S. should end its military sales over a period of time, particularly in a peaceful environment. So it's clear yeah. that the, uh, the tension, uh, and the, uh, the, the military problems in the Taiwan Strait and so forth are, um, entirely, um, Uh, due to the uh, U.S. aggressor stance. The the U.S. is the primary um, uh, problem here in working with their their allies in the Taiwan separatist movement.
2: Mm. So actually, Duncan, in May this year, we actually saw a delegation of U.S. defense contractors travel to Taiwan to look for uh, more business opportunities uh, because of this rising tension across the Taiwan streets. So um, with that in mind, um, to what extent do you think the U.S. policy on the Taiwan question today um, is, um, is determined or is being shaped by the interests of this uh, U.S. military-industrial complex? Duncan?
3: Oh, I think that the... Uh The U.S. military-industrial complex is very influential in uh, U.S. foreign policy, including Taiwan. Um, Military sales are tremendously profitable. Uh, It's probably the most profitable thing that capitalists can do. Um, So this is a real driver of of U.S. policy. Um, U.S. policy... uh, is you know capitalist policy is also oriented to making lots of money, and um, not only in Taiwan, but for example, supplying all the weapons to um, Ukraine, um, so <laughs> is very much in the interest of uh, uh, military industrial complex. So I would definitely emphasize that point.
2: Okay, so Dr. Liu, when we talk yeah. about this increased arms sales from the U.S. to Taiwan. Do you think they are as Beijing officials argues that they are a violation of the august seventeenth the communique jointly issued by the US and China back in nineteen eighty two?
1: Yes, of course. Uh this is a very um serious question because first we know that the August seventeenth communique, which is one of the three joint communique between China and the US mm. formed the political basis of the China US relations. And this main contains that the U.S. promised China the U.S. has no long-term intention uh, to sell arms to Taiwan. And that the number of performance of weapons sold to Taiwan in the future will not exceed um, before the establishment of diplomatic relations between the U.S. and China. And that would decrease year by year to achieve the goal of a natural solution, the US, uh, Taiwan question. So this is uh, based on the premise that U.S. recognized one China and Taiwan is part of China. And promise not to sell arms to Taiwan to obstruct the reunification of China, but the U.S. showed two sides of this issue, uh, of this issue from the start. Uh, they have issued a classified memorandum uh, that the number and, the capab- and capabilities of the weapons sold to Taiwan should depend on the level of China's so-called threat posed on the island, posed to the island. So, in fact, this means to deny Taiwan's uh, sovereignty uh, of China to, uh, to China and. Uh, and that means to pre- uh, preventing, from the, uh, preventing the reunification of China. We see that former White House National Security Advisor uh, Bolton during, his, during the Trump administration released this confidential memorandum before uh, he leaving the office. And the U.S. arms sales to Taiwan in recent years have broken uh, the, re- uh, the restriction of this communication and began to develop in the more offensive direction. Especially in recent, uh, recently, we can see the U.S. Congress has thrown out a bill to trying to legalize the sale of the of, of offensive offensive weapons to Taiwan. And also, Anthony Blinken said that the U.S. Uh, one-China policy linked to the peaceful settlement of the so-called Taiwan question. So that that I think is the return to the previous wrong position and sends the wrong signal of supporting Taiwan's so-called independence uh, to the island. So. Uh, that, uh, that That
2: is the real problem right now. Mm, okay. So, Professor Tark, the final words go to you. Realistically speaking, what can be done at the moment to prevent a possible war over Taiwan? You have about one minute. Thank you very much.
0: Okay. Uh, I am a member, as I know Duncan is, of uh, peace movements in the United States, Uh I think uh, we who are concerned about the danger of a new Cold War and a hot war um, need to work more aggressively within the U.S., work in solidarity with our friends in Europe, and also increase our communication with movements in the global south. It's a long-term and difficult process, uh, and also our friends in uh, the People's Republic of China. It's a long and difficult process, but we have to do it at the grassroots level.
2: Mm, Grassroots level, and uh, uh, at the very senior level, there were increasing diplomatic engagements between Beijing and Washington uh, over the course of so far this year as well. Hopefully, things will turn for the better. But thank you very much. We have been speaking with Dr. Liu Kuangyu, Yu with the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, Professor Henry Tark, uh, a retired professor with Purdue University, as well as Mr. Duncan McFarland from the Communist Party USA. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. I'm Dinghan in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Zoon Ahmed Khan, currently based in Tsinghua University. World Today is an excellent initiative to discuss current affairs by including experts from across the globe. I've always enjoyed our thought-provoking discussions and wish the team even more success and impact in the future.